someone said that would have been really funny if it wasn't so true. Um, you know, it's interesting when it comes to um, a relationship with Jesus Christ, it seems like for some Christians, they, uh, they like the idea, they like the perks of a relationship with Jesus Christ, you know, the, the promises that he gives us, and certainly heaven. But the responsibility that comes with a relationship with Jesus Christ, they're not too um, interested in, I guess you could put it that way. We've been talking about God's will and how to know God's will and to live out God's will. And I, I think for a lot of Christians, and even Jason mentioned this last week, that for a lot of Christians, um, God's will is one of the options. You know, we'll take it, we'll consider it, but if we're not really into it, we'll come up with a different plan, a different idea of what we should, maybe we should do in our lives. Because we like God's will as long as it's easy. But if, it's, if it means causing people to, to be irritated with us, to be frustrated with us, if it makes us a little uncomfortable, then it's, I'm not really sure I want to buy into that. And so my, my prayer has been for this series, we've got one more week next week, uh, is that we would understand that God's will, what God wants for us to do, how, again, how he's designed life to be lived, that we would buy into that, we would take him at his word, and that we would then live it out, because that's the best life. We hear this phrase all the time, right? I'm living my best life now. Or I want to be the best version of me. But listen, as Christians, we need to kind of toss that to the side. It's not about me living life the best way so I can be the best me. As Christians, the best life is doing life God's way, and to become more like Jesus. Because as we've learned, that God's ultimate will, what he's trying to do, the reason why he created all this, the reason why he provided salvation for us after Adam and Eve sinned was for us to know him. First, in a personal relationship, have our sins forgiven, to know that God is our Father, Jesus is our Lord and our Savior, and we have a relationship with the, the one who created us, who designed us but also to know him once we've made a decision that when the Bible says, when, when God says in the Bible, I am your strength, then when we go and do his will and people push back against us, it's, not uncomfort it's, it's uncomfortable for us that we then run back to him in his word, in prayer, and he gives us the strength to go do what he's called to do. We won't know he's our strength if we don't have the difficult situation. Or when God says, I am your peace, and then we do what he says for us to do. And then people push back against us. It's uncomfortable for us. It's not exactly what we were hoping for. But we run back to him and we get into his word and we get into prayer. and We spend time with him. We get spend time with his people. He provides us peace. Now we know him. That's what that means by knowing him. Knowing him intimately. And then to become more like Jesus Christ. To be made in his image in that sense now. To live life the way Jesus lived it. And Jesus did that in order to draw people to him for salvation. So we do the same thing. That's why, as Christians, that's why we exist. That's why we're here. That's why Christ went to the cross for us. And so today, we're talking about um, discovering God's will in a, in a, and I guess I have a, a slide up here with a blank. <laughs> so it's okay. 
Discover God's will for, well, everybody has an area in their life, right, that they would love to know what God's will is, that they're not really sure about it. And so we want to cover that today in a, in a little bit of a different way. We're going to cover some um, common areas where people have and desire God's will, but then that should give you the framework for whatever it is over and above these four things that you might be dealing with. And according, I'm, I'm always available, right, so we can have that conversation um, in our lives. And so before I do that, though, I just want to give you some general observations, just four, from the Bible about God's will. So as you read through Scripture, these four things to just pop out at you as it, as it pertains to God's will. The first one is every relationship God initiated, He did so to accomplish His plans, His will. Talk about anybody in Scripture, look at anybody in Scripture, God initiates the re- relationship. Noah, he initiates a relationship. Abraham initiates a relationship. Moses initiates a relationship. All the way through to the disciples. He initiates a relationship not for them to do what they want, to build their life, their kingdom, but to do God's will. Secondly, God's will isn't something we search for. He reveals it as we spend time with him in his word. In the Bible, we mentioned this last week, those who, those who know the Bible well are the ones who have least difficulty knowing God's will. Why? Because they're with God. They're spending time with God. They're learning who He is and watching Him work in their life. When God revealed His will, people knew it was God speaking and exactly what they were to do. The only one I can think about who didn't have this, Samuel, when he was a kid, right? Remember? He kept hearing, thought it was Eli, right? So he runs to Eli. Eli's no, that's God talking to you. That's the only one I can think of. But everybody else, they know it's God speaking to them. They know exactly what he wants them to do. They may not like it, Gideon. They may, you know, rationalize it. They may give excuses for it, Moses. But they, they know it's God. They know what he wants. And then lastly, obedience meant change in how they thought and how they responded to life. God's will will cause us to have to change, to do things differently. And ultimately, we know the changes to become more like Jesus Christ. Now, when you're kind of trying to figure out how do I know what God's will is, there's three questions that you can ask. Or should ask. The first one is, is there a direct biblical command? Does God speak to this issue in a clear cut, yes, this is what I need to do, a command from Scripture? And again, I, I don't know what your situation is, and, but you need to search Scripture. So you need to get into the Bible and find that out. Secondly, if there isn't a command that you can find, then is there a, a biblical principle I can follow from a command that's maybe similar to it? All right, so you're looking for a spiritual principle or biblical principle. And then, if not, um, what choice will allow me to represent Christ best? All right, and so we're going to take four different questions from our audience, our TV audience this morning. And uh, we are going to, through these, learn what God's Word has to say about these specific areas of God's will. And for you to be able to kind of figure 
that out. And so I've put together a, my office. And so if you were to have these questions, I would invite you into my office. We're just going to expand my office slightly, just to, by a few feet. And uh, so I think we have the first one. Clark, come on up here and, and let us know what is the area that you're trying to figure out. God's will, maybe a friend of yours has this issue or... So, so I have a, a Christian friend I've been talking to. Um, they they want to know what is God's will for who they should marry. Nice. So if you were to come into my office and ask me that question or anything similar, what I do is I take out my magic eight ball and outlook not so good. I don't like that. Can you, it, what, you, you don't like that one? Yeah, I don't like that one. Okay. Doesn't like what God has to say about it. Let's see what else. No, God says, outlook not so good. No, he's, he's serious about it, buddy. So, anybody else? No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. I appreciate the question. So, um, so again, we're going to find out from God's word that there are some definite commands. We're going to find out that there's some principles we can pull from God's commands. And then we're going to find out that Sometimes we have a choice, and so we just need to kind of make that choice. As I was talking to Clark earlier, we talked about this yesterday at our leadership team meeting. You know, I like peanut butter cookies and chocolate chip cookies. Not that I can eat them anymore, but I like them. And so sometimes God gives us a peanut butter cookie to choose or a chocolate chip cookie to choose. We just need to choose one of them. So we'll talk a little bit about that uh, towards the end. But when it comes to marriage, there's a command for this. And so uh, I don't have a screen this big in my office. Um, but we'll just act like we do. So Paul says this, God has Paul say this, do not be bound together. That bound together is a legal binding agreement. So marriage, business, you know, that kind of thing. So do not be bound together with unbelievers for what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness or what harmony has Christ with Belial. And that, that means the devil, but the word actually means worthless. Um, or... What is a believer in common with an unbeliever? And so we pull from this then the command from God for Christians that Christians are to marry Christians who are pursuing Christ. Now I say, I add the pursuing Christ in there because that's what the Bible is always talking about, that we become those who pursue Christ. And so it would be kind of silly if, you know, hey, marry a person who says they're a Christian, but... Yeah, you know, they're not really into it. Um, and so from Genesis 1 and 2, we also know that this is a, a Christian man and a Christian woman, so it's not people of the same uh, gender. Uh, we also know that it's, it, by that verse, we know that it's not one right person. So you hear oftentimes, and maybe you guys have heard this, I was raised with this. Hey, you got to make sure you find the right one. You know, you got to find the right one. Well, what happens if you choose the wrong one? Uh, well, if you do that, then that's God's second best. Well, Logically speaking, that doesn't work, right? Because if, I, if Kim wasn't the right one for me, she was God's second best, well then, I married second best, she married the second best, now whoever they were supposed to marry, they're going to marry the second best. It, it just it doesn't make any sense, right? So logically speaking, uh, there isn't one right person, but they should, are to be a Christian who's pursuing Christ. There's also not a racial prohibition in this. And again, today, it's not that uh, big of a deal. But sadly, back in the day, it was a, a big deal. And I think some people get that from God told Israel, don't marry a non-Israeli, uh, but in a little different circumstances, different situations. And so as Christians, 
where we can marry other Christians um, who are pursuing Christ. Now, this is commanded. One of the reasons why, especially like in Ephesians 5, tells us that, um, that our marriage is an illustration of Christ's love for the church and what he's done for the church. And so again, a Christian marrying a Christian would make more sense than a Christian marrying a non-Christian. But we learn about moral law, right? God's moral law, that it's stated, but we don't have to do it, right? We can disobey. And so Christians do this. And so over the years, what I've heard from Christians who want to marry a non-Christian is, well, they say they're a Christian, or they say they believe in God, or that they're religious, or they have faith. Um, some have said, um, hey, you know, they told me that, that I can continue to be a Christian. They're not really into it. I've had other um, people say, well, I can, I'll lead them to Christ. You know, it's missionary dating, you know, type of thing, missionary marriage. Uh, and I'll lead them to Christ. Now, I know of a few in my life where that's happened and the spouses come to Christ. But I can point to probably five for every one that's worked out, I can point to five that their life is miserable, frustrated, sad, even questioning God, why aren't you meeting my needs here? Why are you not changing my spouse? And in some cases, I've seen them say, well, God's not answering my prayer, so God must not care, and then they walk away from Christ. And so, it's, again, it's uh, God set it up. Marriage is, is man and woman, Christian man and Christian woman, um, and it represents Christ and his church, and it's, it's, that's how we're supposed to, you know, who we're supposed to marry. So um, you think you can take all that back to your, your buddy? Yes, thank you. Okay. Oh, no problem. I'm here for you. But you did bring up uh, another point. So I've, I've got three kids uh, grow, you know, growing up fast. Uh, what does God say about dating? Ah, yeah. So Christians, who should they date? Yeah, that's good. Um, so here's a situation where we don't have a command. Anybody, re, anybody think why we wouldn't have a command about dating in the Bible? Well, because dating started happening about 1920s, somewhere in there, right? So up until that point, parents chose, you know, who their kids were going to marry. And in some places around the world, that still happens. But the United States, you know, around, you know, 1920s, whatever, 30s, then that's when dating really kind of took off. And so the Bible doesn't speak to that. And so here's a situation where we take a command and we build a spiritual principle off of that. Um, and so here's the spiritual principle that we get, and that is that a Christian should date Christian, like a Christian who is pursuing Christ. So kind of the same thing as marriage, but it's just on a dating level. Why is that? Well, most people would say that dating is uh, for you to find who you're going to marry. And so you date different people, you kind of, you know, like that, and then don't like that, and then like that, you know, that kind of thing. You kind of package it all together and find the, the person who kind of fits the most. Uh, I mean, I dated different Christian girls over the years and then realized, oh, Kim was the right one. <laughs> Anyways. She was a Christian pursuing Christ. My mom also said they have to be Norwegian. Couldn't find one, so I married one who looks like a Norwegian. You know, so again. Anyways, enough about me. Back to your question. So, um, so if dating is for that, then it makes sense that we would find, if dating is for marriage, then we'd find a Christian who's pursuing Christ that we would 
date, right? Um, and again, dating a Christian who's pursuing Christ will also um, help you make decisions that you won't regret later, you know, for your kid's sake. Um, you know, because we all have those dating situations, I suppose, in the past, and we're kind of like, yeah, wish that wouldn't have happened, you know. Um, now, I was talking to, the, to some of the young, younger guys on staff, and they were saying, well, you know, some kids today, it's not really about dating for a marriage. It's just kind of dating to have fun, you know. In fact, they were saying this. It's kind of interesting. That kids today, they'll date somebody. They'll say they're dating someone because for some reason there's a level of commitment there that they feel like they can go ahead and have sex outside of marriage where they, if they weren't dating, it'd be more like hooking up, and that's not good, you know. So it's got, anyways. Um, so if it's just for fun, same thing. Date a Christian who's pursuing Christ because it'll keep you from making some bad choices, potentially, um, down, the, down the road. So, all right, is that helpful? Yeah, thank you. All right, I expect great things from your children. Me too. <laughs> go, go in... God's power. All right, who do we got next? I think we got Deb Greenig's going to come up. She's got a question for us. Hey, come on in. Appreciate that. You guys didn't see the door there, did you? She didn't even. She knocked and just busted right through it. She wasn't even. She wasn't waiting. So, and and by the way, just time out. If you come talk to me and you're like scared because I'm going to the principal, that's what some people have said. I provide tissues. I mean, am I a loving guy or what? Do I, do I have a sensitive side? Oh, yeah. Okay, I'm sorry, go ahead. I've been struggling in my marriage for a long time, and I need to know what God says I should do. I've got Christian friends that tell me, just divorce him, but I don't think that's what God wants me to do. What does God say? Okay, awesome, great question. And in this situation, both... Um, have commands connected to them. All right, so this isn't a command principle or command do what you want. This is there are two commands here, and I'm now I'm going to go through this quickly because I hit this all the time. Okay, but we're changing things up a little bit to try to hopefully catch people's attention, and so I want to go through this, um, but I want to do it quickly. Um, God has a lot to say on marriage. Okay. And so it's up to you and me to be in God's Word, studying it up, knowing what God has to say. Um, so we've got this command from Colossians. So this is just two verses that sum up everything that God says in the Bible about marriage. And it's probably familiar, um, mainly because when we're going through Colossians, uh, Jason actually talked on this, but you're also students of Scripture, and so you've probably read it. It says this, wives, be subject, which is always a scary word to read in front of everybody. Be subject to your husbands. In other words, respect your husband's God-given role of spiritual leader as it's fitting in the Lord. So as you're a Christian wife, you've committed yourself to Christ. You're under his spiritual leadership. And as under being under his spiritual leadership, he's saying to you, come underneath your husband's spiritual leadership. Husbands, love your wives. In other words, sacrifice how you think you should love your wife or how she needs you to love her. It's a, maybe a way of defining that. And do not be embittered against them. In other words, don't be crabby. Don't be irritable. Don't huff and puff and roll your eyes. 
when she asks you to do something or as you're having conversations with her. That's what the word embittered in the Greek means. Okay? So that's what you need to do. So, now before, as I said before, before you get all worked up here, some of you guys are already on the edge of your seat, you want to come at me. Dial it down. Take a deep breath. And before you do that, study out. I think I have them. Go to the next. Yeah, so there's all the verses. Write those down. Take a picture of the screen. Study that out. And then come talk to me, because that's where I'm going to take you anyway. So you might as well get a good hands, you know, hand, handle on those things. All right? so, so Christians are commanded to respond like Jesus to their spouse. So husbands, hopefully you have a pen or your phone notes out. Study 1 Peter 2, 21 through 25. Skip 3, 1 through 6 and go to 3, 7. Don't read 3, 1 through 6. You don't care what's in there. Not for you to do. Not for you to know really well so you can use it to help your wife become more spiritual. 2, 21 through 25, 3, 7. Your responsibility, you're commanded by God, Christian husband, whether your wife is a Christian or not, whether your wife is doing life the way you want her to do life, you are responsible before God to love your wife the way she needs to be loved. Which, by the way, 3.7 says, understand your wife, which means you're having conversations with your wife, asking her those questions, and then living that out. If she doesn't join you, if as you're spending time and trying to get her to spend time with you in, in God's Word and prayer, if she's not choosing to do that with you, you still do it. You yourself with God. Asking God to help her understand what she needs to do, but you don't become embittered towards her. Roll your eyes. Get irritated. You're supposed to be here! Just pray that God works on her heart and you do it the way God wants you to do it so you don't become frustrated in your relationship with God. Wives, you read and study 1 Peter 2, 21 through 3, 6. Don't go to 3, 7. Not for you. You don't need to know about it. You don't need to use it against your husband. Because whether your husband's not a believer or not a believer, whether your husband's doing it God's way or not doing it God's way, doesn't matter. Just like it doesn't matter for the husband. You, because you've placed yourself under the authority of Jesus Christ, you respect your husband. You encourage your husband. You help your husband lay the groundwork so that your husband is able to lead spiritually if and when he chooses to do it. Don't nag him. Don't insult him. Don't manipulate him. Respect him and encourage him. Know what it means. Know what he needs to be encouraged. You need to ask questions for that to happen. I put this up on the, on the screen. 
If you're more concerned about how your spouse or how your response to your spouse will impact you than how it will impact your spouse, you are not thinking like Jesus Christ. Chapter 2, verse 21 to 25, is Jesus on the cross. Jesus being bloodied and beaten with a crown of thorns hung on the cross, barely breathing for your sin. For my sin. And then he says, wives in the same way. Husbands in the same way. The same way as what? As Jesus on the cross. And so if you're more concerned about how your response to your spouse will impact you than how it will impact your spouse, you are not thinking like Jesus Christ. Because when, before Jesus came, God the Son didn't say to God the Father, I know your plans, I know that I'm going to put on flesh, I know I'm going to become human, and I know I'm going to die. And I'm fine with that, I'll do what you want me to do, but the, those people I'm dying for, they've got to get their act together first. They've got to start doing what you want them to do before I'll die for them. He didn't say anything in that way. He didn't say, you know, but, but if I do this, those humans are going to think I'm weak. They're going to think I'm easily manipulated, that I, they could just use me, that they could walk all over me like I'm a doormat. Those are the same words that I've heard spouses say to me when we've gone through God's word. Call Jesus what you want. Call him a doormat. Call him uh, easily manipulated. Cause, call him that he's easily used. But here's the deal. He did what he did so you could call him Savior and Lord. And he's saying, husbands, wives, respond to your spouse like I did on the cross to draw them to me. If they're not Christians, to draw them to Christ for salvation. If they are Christians, to bring them to the point where they're doing marriage God's way. Not your way, God's way. Now here's the kicker. There's no promise in Scripture that that's going to happen. And so if your spouse never does that, you and I, we still win. Why? Because God's ultimate goal is to do what? Help us to know who he is, to know him. Again, strength, peace, refuge. What all the other attributes in Scripture. When we do these things, even to a spouse who's not changing, we know God better. Why? Because we keep running back to him. Help me, help me, help me. And he gives us the strength to do what we need to do. And secondly, we know exactly what it felt like. Because we're going to become more and more like Jesus. Do you know the number of people who have lived on this earth who never received Christ's offer of salvation, even though he died for their sin? We do the same for our spouses. Is it fun? No. Is it painful? Yes. Is there joy? Yes. Because Jesus says he went to the cross because of the joy set before him. I'll guarantee you, you pour your life into God and let God pour his word into you, you're going to be able to handle whatever marriage situation you find yourself in.
So the second question is about the divorce. And I'm, I'm sorry to hear that some Christians have given you that uh, advice um, to do that. God's word's pretty clear on it. I'm not saying it's easy, but it's, it's clear. So this is what Jesus said in Matthew. Again, Jesus is God, so God is speaking here. So they, husband and wife, are no longer two but one flesh, but therefore God, Jesus, has joined together, let no man, including a husband and a wife, right, separate. I just got done doing Sarah's and Anthony's wedding last week, you know, so we talked about these things. He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it has not been this way. In other words, when I created this world and it was perfect, man and, and wife, you know, Adam and Eve, they were to be together. Nobody was supposed to separate. They weren't supposed to separate. And that's how it still is. You know, there's sin in the world. It's still supposed to be that way. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. And so we get this command from God is that, that Christians, no matter what's going on in their marriage, are to stay together, remain together, but there is an allowance for adultery, for one of the spouses who cheats on the other spouse the one who's been cheated on can divorce uh, their spouse. Now, having said that, Malachi tells us that God hates divorce, right? And so it's not God's number one choice for us to get divorced, even if a spouse has an affair. Um, in fact, if a spouse does have an affair, imagine the demonstration, the Christ-like love that's demonstrated to that spouse if you reconcile and you keep that marriage whole. I mean, what a great demonstration of what Christ has done for us, right? How many times have we had, a, you know, had an affair on Christ by worshiping other things? And so, now, having said that, let me just say this. There are times where a spouse will have multiple affairs. And so, in that situation, we kind of know, as just from watching it play out, that a person who has multiple affairs can't really control themselves, and so it becomes kind of an issue where we'll tell the person who's uh, in our office, wondering if they should get a divorce or not, that, that that's an option that may be considered. You know, we're not saying do it, but it may be considered um, because the spouse is not able to control and they've broken that marriage vow numerous times. Um, and then, you know, of course, we come around that person, we help that person through that, and from Scripture that person can get uh, remarried in that. Now, when it, when it comes to physical abuse and, and verbal abuse, verbal abuse is a little different, a little difficult, because it's uh, subjective. You know, it depends on the person as to how, what's the verbal abuse. And so we have, it's kind of a hard thing to kind of talk through that with a person. But let's just say the verbal abuse is just unbelievably bad. Or there's physical abuse. Um, some, I know some pastors in the past who have told people, stay with them because it's Christ on the cross. Uh, we don't do that. What we do is we say, hey, listen, separate yourself from the person um, and get someplace safe. Take the kids with you if you need to. Um, and then use your returning as leverage for that person to get help. Um, and then, we, of course, we offer that as well. All right? You got to remember, marriage is a real-life illustration of Christ and his church. And so we want to represent Christ as best that we can. Okay? Great. Good job. Awesome. Thanks for coming. All right, I think we got uh, somebody else. Uh, Greg, come on. As he's coming up, I just want to say something about um, 
about Deb, we were talking earlier, and Deb made this comment to me that I think is good for all of us to know, is that until she started getting into God's Word, spending time with God and His Word, and knowing what God's Word says about her marriage, um, she really struggled. But now she's seeing not only growth in herself, but a change because of the growth that's in her, the change in her response to her husband, she's seeing changes in her husband as well. And so we need to keep praying for, for her and him and, and for God to work in that. So, Greg, what you got? Well, before I ask my question, I was wondering if you had a peanut butter cookie. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> you and I are both people who should not be eating those. Yeah, okay. We've talked about it. Isn't God's will for me to have a peanut butter cookie? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, let's see the principle. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously, though, um, as you know, we have, Renee and I have adult children, and uh, we're just wondering what God has to say about our responsibility for them. Okay. Uh, so we know from Scripture, we have a command in Scripture that if your children are living in the home, you have small children um, and growing in, in your home, your responsibility is to teach them and train them in the way of the Lord. So that's the command. There's no command in Scripture um, about how a person relates to their grown children. So in that case, what we do is we, we say, well, Christians are free to treat their adult children um, like any other adult. Now, we know from Genesis 2.24 that a married couple is supposed to leave their father and mother and be joined to each other to become one. So they move out from their parents' uh, protection and provision and, and move on out. Um, and so we know that part of it. So if they're married, certainly they, they are their own deal. And so, uh, but if they're outside of your house um, as individuals as well, then we kind of take that principle, I guess you could say, and bring it to this. So whether they're believers or not, um, you need to point them to Jesus Christ. So whatever they're going through, um, believer or not a believer, they need to point them to Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ, a relation with him, is going to be what they need to have the wisdom and the strength and all uh, as they get to know God and, and see him at work in their life to get through the struggles that they're going through. Um, whether they're a believer or not, you need to respond to them in love. So you're looking out for their best no matter what it might cost you. Now, it may cost you um, some pain. It may cost you frustration, irritation. It may cost you, cost you hurt feelings. Your expectations were this for your children and you, and now you're, what's happening is this. Um, because doing what's best for your children when they were growing up, and I know you, know you guys adopted your daughters. They were 10 years old, so they had a lot of growth happening already before you got them. Kind of a, a challenge in that. But um, we, we are to raise them so they become productive adults. Um, and so... Uh, that's what we need to be doing once they are adults age-wise, <laughs> okay? So, um, so we need to do what's best for them, um, which, again, isn't easy, but we need to do whatever's best for them to become the adults that they need to become. Oftentimes, that is letting our adult children feel the pain because um, that's the discipline of the choices they're making. To not go in not hover over them, to not um, rescue them out of those situations. Um, of course, if, you know, if it's a suicidal thing, then obviously you need to jump in. But if it's, if it's making decisions and that kind of stuff, point them to Christ, point them what God says to do, but you've got you to ride the roller coaster of the emotions of, of pain and irritation and frustration and, and, and that kind of thing. Um, if they're an unbeliever uh, and they're you know, living in sin, if you want to put it that way, doing life, not doing life God's way, um, then you just... Deal with them with grace, just like you would do any other adult who's not a believer. You just 
show them grace and love and because they're not expected to do life God's way, right? And so uh, if they're a believer um, and they're, doing, they're not doing life God's way, then as with any other adult, we have a responsibility to, to lovingly confront that, to say, hey, listen, you're not doing life God's way. We're here for you to help you kind of repent. We'll walk with you through that. Uh, and then sadly, in some cases, you're, you may have to remove fellowship from them. So Galatians 6.1 says, Brethren, if anyone, uh, a fellow Christian, including your adult children, um, is caught in any trespass or sin, you who are spiritual, restore or put in order such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to, to yourself so you too will not be tempted. So that's that whole, hey, I need to, hey, listen, what you're doing is not right. You say you're a Christian. God says you shouldn't be doing that. Um, we're here for you. Let's, let's get things switched around and put in order and we'll walk with you through that. Um, and then Paul says this, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with immoral people, I did not at all mean with the immoral people of the world or with the covetous and swindlers or with idolaters, for then you would have to be to go out of the world, and we know that God hasn't, doesn't take us out of the world until later on, right? But actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother, a Christian, if he is an immoral person or covetous or idolater or reviler or drunkard or swindler. In other words, living out a lifestyle defined by this, because we obviously we all sin, but if their lifestyle is defined by this, not even to eat with such a one. And the idea behind that is um, you remove fellowship from the person so that they would feel that missing relationship and want that. And you'll say, hey, listen, we're here for you, but you got to start doing life God's way. Um, and so when you're ready to do that, we're here for you. You know, that type of, that type of thing. So is that good? Kind of quick answer, I know. Yeah, but, that's good. All right, excellent. I know you got things to do, so I'm going to let you get back to your week. Yeah. So remember, we're in my office during the week. So we're... All right, we got one more real quick. Yeah, oh boy. <laughs> Jason, you, you're like a pastoral resident. You know all the answers. How in the world would you be coming up here and asking a question of it? He's got his Bible even. Well, I got a good one. Uh, I am struggling at work with my boss and I'm thinking about a job change. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just kidding. On a real note, though, how would I tell a Christian brother, a friend who is struggling at work, thinking about what's God's will for his work or a job change, how would I help uh, tell him what God's will is for that? All right, good. Good to hear you. you're not too frustrated with working with me. I'm not an easy boss, I'll tell you that much. Um, anyways, so we know from Genesis 2, 8, and 15, Ephesians 4, 28, that we're commanded to work. All right, so I think we all get that, right? We're supposed to, to work. Um, and then God also gives us commands for how to work. We'll look at that real quick in a bit here. Uh, but where to work seems to be a matter of, of choice. All right, of course, as long as it's not becoming a hit man, you know, or a hit woman, you know, that type of thing. So as long as it's not a sinful thing, that we would do that. Uh, but look at Ephesians 4, 28. It says this, He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor or work, performing with his own hands what is good or productive, so that he will have something to share with one who has a need. And uh, back in the first century, there were some Christians, evidently, who were not working. They were choosing to let the church provide for them or their family provide for them. They didn't really have government assistance like we have today. And so we, we pull from this a command that Christians are supposed to work. And so if a, if a Christian is, um, is able to work, we're not to look to our families to help us. We're not look to, to the government, which is basically tax, uh, you know, my tax dollars, your tax dollars, um, helping people. Uh, we're supposed to do the work. Now, again, we're not going to get the whole thing here, but God said in Genesis, 
1 and 2, that God would provide as long as we work like he's told us to do. So we're not working to provide for ourselves. We're working to be obedient, and God promises to provide through that work situation. Um, And so if you're able to work, but you're choosing not to, then that would be a sin, okay? Um, And so as Christians, we need to work, um, and we need to allow God to provide through the work that we're doing. We're also commanded to work hard. So it says this, slaves, which again is employees, in all, uh, in all things obey those who are your masters or your bosses on earth, not with external service as those barely please, uh, to please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing, respecting the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily, which means with all you have, all you had to work hard, all you have, your whole heart into it. Uh, as for the Lord rather than for men. So we are commanded to work hard. Wherever God has us, wherever we're working, we need to work hard to represent Christ in that. But just because we don't like our boss, not you, of course, um, but just because we don't like our boss, just because uh, it's a tough situation, we don't like our coworkers, it's hard work or whatever, that doesn't mean that God's saying you need to leave your job. First Peter says, servants or employees, be submissive to your bosses with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, like Harold, but also those who are unreasonable. For this respecting an unreasonable boss finds favor if for the sake of conscience toward God a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. And so when we're in that situation, it doesn't mean that God's saying, okay, time to leave. God's saying, and this is where you have to have discernment, that stay there and represent Christ. Let your boss see who you are in Christ, and that will be a way of possibly drawing them to Christ for salvation. Again, knowing God, being like Christ. Um, and so it may even be for coworkers, for instance, around you. Maybe it may be for your boss. But you stick it out, you represent Christ, um, and hopefully draw them to Christ if possible. Now, if any of you are thinking about this, um, and what... And what you're doing is, you know, it's not a sin. Like I said, you're not finding a job that's a sin. You're, you're looking at two jobs, you know. And so sometimes God doesn't give us a right or wrong choice. Sometimes it's a peanut butter cookie or a chocolate chip cookie. I like both. And so then I just choose the peanut butter or chocolate and I live with the pain, <laughs> live with the enjoyment of whatever cookie I choose. And so sometimes with God, it's the same way. You have one choice or this other choice. I've had this in my life uh, a couple times. And so we realize, okay, we can just choose what it is, but then I would ask you to evaluate it asking these three questions. First of all, am I chasing or worshiping money? Am I making this decision for the money? Because it's all about the money. I need more money. Need more, you know. Again, uh, in Matthew 6, 24, God, Jesus says, don't worship. You can't worship money and God. You can only worship either God or money. So as Christians, that's very, you know, we're like, yeah, I think I'm worshiping God here, you know, but we're really got to look at the money. So you got to evaluate that. Am I chasing money? Um, then will, will a change make me more effective in seeking first God's kingdom? Matthew 6, 25 to 33, Jesus is saying, hey, listen, don't worry about all your needs. I'll take care of that. God will take care of that. You just make sure that you're seeking first God's kingdom and God's righteousness. In other words, Live life in such a way that you want to draw people to Christ for salvation and you want to do life God's way. That's how they're going to be drawn to him for salvation. And so that's what your purpose is. That's what your desire is. You're not chasing money. You just feel like, man, I can, 
I can make a greater impact for Christ if I take this other job, um, then you're free to take that choice. Um, thirdly, will it keep me from regularly connecting with my church family? Now, the Bible commands us to meet with our church family. It's, it's our spiritual support. It's, it's who we grow with. It's who we um, help grow and all that kind of stuff. So if we get a job and that job keeps me from worshiping with my church family, then that's a job that we should probably kick out the door. Because why? A command is that we meet together with a church family. Now, I know that's shocking some people. And I know there are some Christians who don't like hearing me say that. But I'm just giving what God's Word says. Because why? Because in doing that, because it's God's way of helping us grow, we'll know Him better and we'll become more like Jesus Christ. So if there's no conflict, you got a peanut butter cookie or a chocolate chip cookie, make the choice. Just make sure you're making the choice to represent Christ well, to seek for His kingdom and His righteousness. You got all that? Tell your buddy. So that should make this week easier. Great. For my friend. Nice. I'm here for him. All right, so what's some takeaways from this? Quickly, first of all, prayerfully study the verses associated with the areas in which you need to know God's will. So if we hit some of them up here, you got the verses. If, you, if we didn't, then you need to search out Scripture. I'm here for you. I'll help you out. Uh, finding that if necessary. There's other Christians that can help you with that. Secondly, there is pain associated with living out God's will, but also the promise of the same joy Jesus experienced through his obedience. Yes, it will be painful. People will push back against you. It's not fun. It's not exciting all the time. But for the joy set before him, Jesus went to the cross. And so we're going to experience that joy that God promises us. If, if we obey him, do it his way. And then thirdly, thirdly, when it comes to God's will, going back to the beginning, he didn't save you to fulfill your dreams or desires, but to fulfill his will in and through your life circumstances. He initiated his relationship with you because he wants you to know him, which starts with you being in God's word and for you to become more like Jesus Christ. That's your goal. That's his goal. That's what you're living for. Let's go ahead and stand. Close in prayer. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to look into your word. Lord, thank you so for your word. And, and really, and so often, it's just very plain, very right there in front of us. But Lord, forgive us for struggling to obey, for fearing uh, the response of others more than fearing you, respecting you. So Lord, I pray that you would uh, just encourage us this week as we spend time in your word to know you well, to represent you well, to trust you. We praise in Christ's name. Amen.